Hello, and thank you for listening in today to my series, You've Been Found Guilty, Now What? White Collar Sentencing Options. Today, we're going to talk about medical care in federal prison. While the Bureau of Prisons, BOP, provides medical care, the choices that you're going to get are probably much different than one you're used to. This is another reason why I continually circle back to the pre-sentence interview which is the original source material that the probation officer uses to draft the pre-sentence report, which is what the probation officer then takes, makes an opinion on regarding the length of time you should be in prison and where you should be placed and gives it to the judge, who in turn will sentence you to the length and time incarcerated and then maybe make a placement request, passes the pre-sentence report onto the Bureau of Prisons, who and then uses it to essentially dictate what happens to you for the entire time that you're incarcerated. So needless to say, it's a very important care issues. There is an exception. If the mental health care issue <coughs> excuse me, is greater than the medical care level, mental health care level takes precedence. We'll get into that in a little bit. So let's go through the different levels. Care level four is federal medical centers. These provide 24 seven, 365 nursing and medical care. Don't go out of your way to trying allow yourself to think that I want to be placed in a medical center, federal medical center, because it's not very smart. They house both violent and nonviolent offenders and all security levels. Care level one, <clears throat> these are for individuals under the age of 70 that are considered very healthy and require limited medications and limited clinical visits. Care level three. Otherwise, they would be considered for care level four, but they are disqualified because they do not require 24-7, 365 medical care. But they do require assistance. So we're going to go through with this. They're going to require initially assistance, potentially with activities of daily living. So what makes this up? This is assistance with eating, dressing, getting into or out of bed or chair, taking a bath or shower, or using a toilet. Now, in this particular case, activities of daily living, if they can still function to a degree on their own, they may also qualify for care level two. Next is prison activities of daily living. The author of this article is Williams et al. 2006. But the results to the inmate who suffers from this, or as a result of prison activities of daily living, can result in harsh punishment or segregation, meaning that they can get into fights, assaults, or self-injurious behavior. This can lead to disciplinary reactions or restrictive housing units. 
That can lead to solitary confinement, which exacerbates the need or their mental illness. So what are the five different categories of prison activities of daily living? Mostly found in those who have dementia, Alzheimer's, or mental as you get older. Dropping to floor for alarms. They may not even hear the alarms. Standing heads count. They might not want to because of a mental illness. They may not hear it. Ambulating to and from the dining hall for meals. Again, they may be slow. They may not want to. They may irritate, irritate other inmates. Hearing orders from staff. They may become belligerent with the staff, getting in trouble, wind up in solitary. Climbing to up and down from the top bunk. This is probably the, not the smartest thing for correction staff to place an inmate that may have slowness, a mental health issue, dementia. They could wind up with a broken hip, which could be a death sentence in disguise. Lastly, they could be outpatient. They may be post-op after surgery outpatient. They may have, you know, a mental health where they're in and out of psychiatric treatments. They may be a stroke patient, handicapped for some degree. There's a plethora of other conditions. Lastly, care level two. As in general population out here in the free world, so too it applies to those incarcerated. It's the majority of inmates they have. They need quarterly visits to either control medical issues, and that can also include medication. What's the impact of an incomplete pre-sentence report? This is a pretty big deal, second opinions. Your pre-sentence report medically gives anyone who's looking at your record a baseline, just like your doctor on the outside, to evaluate you. So let's say you're lucky enough to get a second opinion. Well, guess what? Even if the treating or the second opinion consulting physician recommends you to have that procedure, the Federal Bureau of Prisons is not obligated to do that treatment. They can just file it away in your record. And you may have to wait until you're released to get the treatment, or it could take you years to get it, even if you're authorized. Medication availability. If, in fact, you know before you're going into prison that it's non-formulary or not available, this is something that should be addressed before the pre-sentence interview. Once you get there, it's too late. Your day-to-day -day medical care, any concerns you have or you think you may have should be addressed long before you have your pre-sentence interview. Afterwards, it's a much harder hill to climb. I hope you have found this helpful. I'm easy to rate, reach. I've included my email address along with phone number, website. I hope you stay safe. I'm looking forward to meeting you on the next YouTube.